this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians, to the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Read with me. We're going to look at verses... Uh, 11 through 16 for the reading. Probably won't spend time on all of those verses, but uh, we do want to look at 12, 13, and 14 this morning. 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for your grace, for your word, these people. Father, as we come together this morning, let us set our hearts on understanding your word. Let us set our minds on living your way. And give us, Father, great faith. Now, we live in a world of turmoil, carried away by every wind of doctrine today. But Father, impress upon us this morning that the church cannot be like the world, that we must look to your son Jesus, and in the knowledge of him, and in the knowledge of him and his promises and his life, be led to do something greater, to a deeper faith, to a stronger love, greater union with our brothers and sisters. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Oh, Lord, we would not be here even today had you not moved in our hearts with the power of the Spirit. And I pray that Spirit work in our hearts in such a way today to call us to a great unity and love, first toward one another, This passage this morning, this pa passage is familiar to us, and I, I named this morning's uh, sermon, Maturity and Growth. Um, this morning, I want to treat just the maturity part. Next week, we'll get more time to spend on the growth part, but it's maturity that I want to focus on and how we as Christians mature. I wrote here to the side so that we can equip the church so that they won't act like a bunch of faithless crybabies. That's a little harsh, isn't it? But this maturity that Paul's talking about builds a faith in the church that gives us the ability to live lives like all of the Old Testament and New Testament stories we read. 
And my thesis a little bit this morning is we're not any different. We're to live just like the Bible stories tell us. We're to live with faith just like Paul had. We're to live with faith just like the disciples had. Jesus' promises aren't any different today than they were then. And how do we do that is the question because that is the work of the church. And that is why Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. You see that there in verse 11. And this is where we can start this morning. Now, we spoke about that a little bit, that God gave that, and he gave the pastors of the church authority. But he gave them also for a reason, and verse 12 reveals that reason. But very quickly in verse 11, I want you to see that the definite article there is on, on, on the to, um, excuse me, and he gave the apostles, it's on the prophets, it's on the evangelists, and it's on the shepherds, but it's not on teachers. So we can conclude, indeed, the way that the Greek works there is that the shepherd teachers are the one person. The shepherd teachers of the church, and I like this because this gives a fuller picture of what he's already said in chapter 2. It is the apostles and the prophets that wrote scripture. That is the foundation, and with Christ being that cornerstone. If you go over there in verse 20 of chapter 2, you read these words, that the household of God is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Well, the apostles and the prophets wrote the Old and the New Testament. Jesus indeed himself is the living word, and it is the pastors and teachers and evangelists that preach the word and teach the word, and it is the word that we will see in verse 12 equips the saints and builds up the body. Okay? And it is the word that reveals what? You go on there in verse 12 and you'll see that it is the knowledge of Christ that does all of this work. So it is my heart to enliven your mind of the knowledge of Christ this morning so that, and the key word in this whole text, I believe, at least for me in this sermon this morning, is the word mature manhood. You see it there in verse 13? Mature manhood. Let's read it. Verse 13, chapter 4. All of this work is to take place. And let me just briefly go back. He gave all of the apostles, prophets. The word of God was given. Evangelists went out and preached and, and preached the gospel. And we read about Peter uh, many times there in chapter 2. Went into one of the most difficult places and he preached the gospel. And the gospel changed the lives. And about 3,000 were added to the church that day. So he gave the evangelists for that. And evangelists, you know, everybody, I think, at least in my mind, I think of Billy Graham when I hear that word. And the shepherds and the teachers to continue the work of the gospel. So it's, it's the gospel that changes us and brings us into God's kingdom so that we can believe and understand the word of God. And it is the gospel that continues to mature us so that we can grow in the word of God until we all attain, you see, or excuse me, verse 12, to equip the saints, and I'll come back to this because that word equip is important, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body, and I will remind you that he's talking about the saints in the body. These are the people that are already saved. This is the church. This is you, beloved, as you individually come together and you're equipped and you're encouraged to become the working body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to what? To mature manhood. That is key for me here in this passage. I love the underlying Greek here. It's the word teleos. It, in my mind, I started out in engineering, as you guys know. 
everything has to make logical sense. And by the way, most men are made like that. Most women aren't. <laughs> we have one brother strong enough to say amen to that. It shows the goodness of what God has done. Amen, right? Uh, women, most of the, and this is, again, this is the general rule. Don't do me like they do me in Twitter. And when I make some remark, they can't see the general. But most women deal in the emotional. It's what makes them great moms and great wives and great nurturers. Amen. There we got a few more strong brothers. And most men deal in the logical. That's why we don't have a clue what, you know, I, I, Let's go anyway. Liz and I had 31 kids in foster care. And of our own own and all the kids we had, I, I can't tell you how many were babies, but a lot of them were babies. This is what I know, whether it was kids in foster care or our kids or the last kid that you see sitting here on this aisle. When I got up in the middle of the night, I would change the diaper and give a bottle, and if the kid wouldn't quit crying, guess what I did? I got my wife up because she knew what to do, Right? She's made differently, but this word maturity here is the Greek word teleos, and it talks about bringing you to the purpose that you were created for. That's what I want to see. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to see, not only in you, but you together as a corporate entity, his church. He is bringing you together. We saw this. Uh, just jump over to verse 9 in chapter 1. He's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him and things in heaven and things in earth. He is bringing us all together. It's planned that he has planned before the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ, and he is sanctifying us. He is growing us. He is bringing us to the purpose he created us for. Isn't that wonderful, people? I know, you think, well, I'm not there yet. I've got a long way to go. And the promise is that he's going to bring you fully to what you've been created for. Now, the problem is a lot of times we try to do things that we're not created for because we don't know what the Word of God says or we're not focusing on Christ. And whenever that happens, we're not maturing. We're not coming to the point that we were created for. God has an individual plan for each one of us, Psalms 139, right? I knit you together in your mother's womb. David says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And, 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 and there was such purpose and such a plan that God had more thoughts of you than grains of sand on the seashore. And every one of them was written. I use this when I go to Philly and I'm standing there begging moms not to kill their kids. Every day was written for that child that's in your womb, yet before there was ever one of them. God doesn't make a mistake. He put that child in your womb and he's put you on this planet for you to reach maturity. And he's not going to stop. If you're truly his, that, that process is not going to stop. You can't stop it. It's sort of like uh, understanding, uh, well, we can look at things, right? If I had a hammer on the pulpit, I didn't bring one, but it would have been good. Or if I had this, and I said, what is this for? It has one purpose, doesn't it? It's to magnify their beautiful voices so that we can hear them sing. Or if I had a hammer... Uh, I don't use it to cut meat because it's a hammer. Its purpose is to drive nails. Do you understand that your purpose is that sure? That's what this all in this word Greek teleos is that you were created for a purpose, but something happened. And it's in that purpose that you're being built back into. So whenever the church 
is finding its purpose in being equipped by the word of God and being built up by the word of God, we won't be a bunch of faithless crybabies. We'll be a bunch of fearless, faith-filled, obedient saints called to what God has called us to do. Amen? I don't, you, you just say that like Brother says, you got to say that. Because it's when we look at Christ, we're being built up. And when we look at the world, we start to become pragmatic. When we focus on Christ, when we focus on the Word of God, when we focus on all these things that God has given us, He's given us uh, the apostles, the prophets, the Word of God, the evangelists to preach, and the shepherds and teachers to teach and preach. And that was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we all change uh, through, through the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all mature, uh, mature to being a full man, to being a fully a purposed man with what God has called you to be, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, our sanctification process doesn't quit until that day when we're with Christ, and then it just super revs from there on out, the day we're glorified. But we're to be growing all that time so that we're not knowledgeless, faithless, uh, discombobulated, not unified together church. That's what we like to call weak sauce church. And churches are only weak because they're not preaching the word of God and not unifying together under the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So Paul says these pastors and evangelists, shepherds, teachers, have to equip the saints. And it's in that word equip that we find the understanding of what it means to grow to teleos. All he's saying is here is that something's been broken. The word equip here is, means to restore. It means to bring it back to its original condition or its original purpose. To equip something, right? To equip it. Well, what is God bringing you back originally to? Well, beloved, we can tell that by looking back to the Garden of Eden and looking to Adam and Eve and seeing what it was, what man was, before sin came into the world. Because it's when sin came into the world that we were fallen that we need to be re-equipped from. And that's what God is doing. He's driving sin and fear and and all those things out of our life as his people, and he's equipping us to be his church, to be his people. The word of God is restoring us. The word of God is building us up. You see that here. A church who has the knowledge of Christ and has grown to mature manhood and the fullness of Christ is a strong church, a church that is unified by faith, a church that is doing things in the world. And let's pick up the following verse, verse 14, because it is so important to this so that we may no longer be children. And that's where I got that uh, gracious little metaphor that we wouldn't be faithless little crybabies. Here's my stitch there this morning. So that we may no longer be children. Paul says, I don't want you to be children. I don't want you. I fed you milk because you couldn't stand it, because you couldn't eat meat yet. He wants us all to eat meat so we're not a weak church. And he's given us milk and then meat so that we can grow and be mature. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning. That's what God wants us to be. In other words, if we looked at this and we brought it into the world today, we can see that the reason that God is building us is because we're attaining to the unity of faith, verse 13, and the knowledge of the Son of God. That is that knowledge grows us, and the more we know about the Son of God and his promises, the more faith and unity comes in his church. But the corollary of that is true. 
And that is the more we don't look at Christ, the more we're carried about by every wind of doctrine that is in the world. And that is the world today. Why does our nation look the way it does? Because it don't look to Christ. Right? It's not. This is directly proportional, beloved. The more we look at Christ, the greater our faith will be. And the less we look at Christ or the more we look at the world, the greater our faith we're going to be. It is the knowledge of Christ that turns us away from the ways of the world. It is the knowledge of Christ that stays off our chasing after every wind of doctrine. It is the knowledge of Christ that strengthens us. So members are to be full of the knowledge of Christ, not affiliated with the world. No faith is pragmatism. It's being not equipped. It's being not built up. It's being not mature. It's just the opposite of what Paul is calling for here. And I need a good illustration, so let's turn to John chapter 6. It's in the simplicity of Jesus feeding the 5,000 that I hope to show you that when we as the church look at Christ, we will be built up. We, we will be strengthened. We will be mature men and women. We will be equipped. We will be built up and full of what God has done. We will reach the full end of our potential. We'll become, as the Greek word teleos lends itself to be, we'll become what we were purposed to be. Right? We'll become what we were purposed to be. Let's read from John chapter 6. You know this. Let's just begin in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because he saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where can we buy enough bread so that all these people may eat? Where can we buy enough bread so that all these people may eat? It sounds like a good question, but Jesus also says there's a test here. What's the test? Hmm. That he will provide. That we will believe him. That if we look to him, right, we won't be the faithless, whiny crybabies of the world. That we'll be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that will fulfill the works that he's called us to do. Look at what was said here. And I'll just tell you that as we look at our own resources and we look at our own abilities, we're looking at what the world wants and not looking at Jesus Christ. But if we keep the knowledge of Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 13, close at hand, if these disciples would have just said, this is the same Jesus bringing people back from death, they would have had the right answer to this. He said this to Philip to test him. Where are we to buy enough bread, verse 5, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? So we only get the answers of two of the 12 disciples, but the two we get are general of the answers that we get from all of the disciples, I believe, and too often the answer that we get from the church. We put it into worldly means. If we had to buy enough bread for these 5,000 people, which, by the way, it was just 5,000 men of fighting age, it would have been women and children with them. There was probably, most scholars think, closer to fifteen or 20,000 people. That's the grandness of this miracle. Because all we had were five loaves of fish and 
And what did Andrew say? Uh, five barley loaves and two little fish. So the first thing that Philip does is do what I think a lot of us would do. Well, 200 denarii I would not even be. He puts it into a worldly formula. We need money to buy it. Jesus was going to feed the people no matter what the budget said. You see that? Jesus was going to feed the people no matter what the budget said. And he was going to teach his disciples what faith is. That's one of the hardest lessons to learn, isn't it? Because when we look at the world, we go, I don't have enough money. But yet Jesus said, do this. Let's look at the answer. Philip was like a lot of us. I mean, he looked at the budget. Andrew was like, I don't know, he probably, somebody might have said, well, Andrew didn't take his medicine today. Verse 9, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? That didn't fit, did it, Andrew? It just didn't make any sense that these five barley loaves and two fish were all that they had. Jesus said, seat the people. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to them to those who were seated, so also the fish, and they got as much as they wanted. Now, this is the marvelous part to me. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So the disciples went out, verse 13, and they gathered up and filled 12 baskets. There's more baskets than there were loaves. They gathered 12 baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw that the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is a prophet who has come into the world. So what Paul is saying as we turn back to Ephesians 4 is that the work of the ministry and the word of God is for building up uh, and equipping those that are doing that work. And that word equip brings us to understanding that we were somebody that we are coming to be again in Jesus Christ. Because of the fall and because of sin, we tend to look into the world, but God is equipping us. He is taking us through things. He is teaching us in his word. We can see the parables just like we read here or the, the, uh, the stories and the miracles of, of John that we read, read in John chapter 6. And we can see that Jesus performed these miracles constantly, and we know that Jesus continues to, 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 to promise to perform these miracles for us today. And so he is equipping us when we are faced with situations just like Philip and Andrew were faced with. Will we mature? Will we believe Jesus? Will we believe what the word of God says or will we look to the world and look to the pragmatism of the world? And I'm telling you the key for me in this passage to reach mature manhood is that little phrase just before it is to have knowledge of the son of God. Because knowledge grows into so much. The focus here is mature manhood and the fullness of Christ. And the only way to come to the fullness of Christ, to be equipped to what God has called us to do, to be built up, is to continue to keep our eyes on Christ and put into our minds and into our hearts, beloved, more knowledge of Christ. Because the more we know about Christ, the greater our life here becomes. The more we know about Christ, the more hope we have. 
I saw your faces when I read how Jesus was testing his disciples. He did that so he could teach them. He did that so that they could live a richer life. He did that so that they could have the joy of doing what he called them to do. He did that so that they wouldn't have to be disappointed by worldly means. He did that so they could be strengthened and built up. Everything that Jesus did, every time we look to him, we see him building up those who are paying attention to who he is. That's how knowledge works, beloved. The more knowledge we have of Jesus, the greater in hope our life grows. Let me extrapolate that a little bit. Let me use Sam. What happens when we apply knowledge to something? A resource that we have here today. The seashore is full of sand, right? Where's the pastor going, right? The seashore is full of sand. But about 3,500 years ago, some folks in Mesopotamia were heating sand to 3,500 degrees and adding soda and lime to it and creating what? This is what happens when you add knowledge to something. They had added knowledge, and over 3,500 years, glass is so plentiful and sand is so plentiful that they've made a resource greater or more valuable uh, by adding knowledge to it. You know, the difference between us and caveman is not the resources. The earth has still been full of the same resources. It's the knowledge we apply to the resources we have. So as we apply more knowledge to glass, or to sand, excuse me, in 1970, researchers from Corning, just a group of men and women, scientists and engineers, were working with silica sand, the same thing that 3,500 years ago was first made into glass. But they applied even more knowledge to sand to make that resource more valuable, and in 1970, they made that same sand into something that hooks the whole world together today. Do you know what that is? You see what happens when you apply knowledge to sand? What do you think happens when you apply knowledge to who Jesus Christ is? <laughs> There's no end to what happens. If you will focus on Jesus, you will mature as a Christian. He will take you out of your comfort zone. He will equip you. He will build you up. He will stand you strong. You will do acts of faith. You will be the church. And you will mature. Jesus said in Luke 6.39 that if a blind man follows a blind man, they'll both end up in the ditch. And as we connect these two passages together, when we look at the world, and we follow worldly things and worldly ways as Christians, it's just pulling us off into, what's he call it, every wind of doctrine, things that are devised by human cunning. You know, you can, look at, uh, you can look at our government school system, and if you just stop and read one transgender policy, there's no logic. I mean, it's, if you want to see what following somebody in the ditch is like, follow that. You can't follow that. There's no logic to it. It makes no sense. There's no life in it. And the more the world looks away from Jesus and looks to the world, the less sense it's going to make. But the more knowledge the world has of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the more knowledge we have from Scripture, 
the more we focus on Jesus, the greater the world's going to look. The greater the world's going to stay away from every human doctrine of cunning because that doctrine of cunning comes from the devil. Jesus said in 639, blind man falls, blind man, he's following them to the ditch. It's simple to see that that's exactly what's going on in our world today. Why would the church ever follow a blind man? We do it all the time. We follow him into the ditch. The answer is just this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, the following verse, Jesus says, uh, a student is like his uh, disciple, is like a student is like his teacher. And when he is fully grown, he will be just like his teacher. And what Jesus is saying is that if we look and we learn from Christ, that we will be just like Christ. Isn't that what we want to be, church? Isn't that where we're headed? Isn't that what we want in our lives, to be like Christ? To believe Christ? To have faith like Christ? To have hope like Christ? To love like Christ? To be patient like Christ? To be meek like Christ? And quit looking at the world. Quit working at the world and following every wind of doctrine and every human cunning and follow Christ. Oh, you're going to say to me, brother, it doesn't make any sense. We don't have the budget. We don't have the time. It's too big a deal. We can't buy, even if we had 200 denarii of food, it wouldn't be enough for all these people. But yet Jesus asked us to do it. Mature manhood is the knowledge of the fullness of the stature of Christ that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, but that we would be mature and bring glory to God through the work of Jesus Christ. How do this apply in our day-to-day -day lives should be the next question. I've already said one way. As a church, we're faced with things all the time. Can we do this? Should we do this? Is Jesus calling us to do this? We need to understand that if Christ has called us to it, he'll He'll provide the means to get us through it, okay? The application of our personal lives, knowledge of Christ changes our worldview. And I would just ask you to live a life like the disciples had to have changed from the day that they stood there in John chapter 6 and they saw the 5,000 fed. Think about their marvel as they collected. Each one of them had a basket. That's why there was 12 baskets. And they were collecting what was left over. What was going through their mind? Can you imagine what was going through their mind? We started with five little loaves and two little fish, and yet we got 12 baskets full of leftovers. How did that happen? Because Jesus wanted to feed the people, and all we had to do was be obedient to feed the people. Jesus will give us in abundance what he's called us to do. He'll give us the resources. He'll give us everything we need, and he will give you everything you need. And this will change your worldview, brother. Because it's easy to get hopeless when we look into the world. Those disciples felt it. We feel it today. But what happened in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came and they understood all the things that Jesus did? They were willing to die for what they believed. Their worldview was totally changed. No longer would they be sucked into the hole of going and chasing about every wind of doctrine, but they would be strong. They would be firm. They would stand on the principles of Christ and the promises in Scripture, and they would not be moved. We need churches like that today. We need church members like that today. 
They wouldn't follow after the craftiness or the deceitful scheming because they've kept their eyes on Jesus. So it changes your total worldview. You might have worried about things. You, you watch the news and you fret and you worry and even you weep over these things and you say, oh, we've got to get the right people elected. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. No, we've got to trust Jesus. He's doing exactly what he called, he's doing exactly what he wants to do at this very moment. There's not one atom out of his control. We need a worldview that's changed. And keeping our focus on Christ will give you a changed worldview. And the second application to your life this morning is you will be like your teacher. That's the promise. If you let somebody in this world teach you, and we talk a lot about Charles Darwin and and all of the intellectuals we've had, even Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and his rationalism. And history has a way of showing the good ideas that stood the test of time and the bad ideas that we just need to throw away. That's why we need to read history, by the way. Socrates' rationalism is great, but it leaves out all the supernatural. <laughs> so if you want peace in your life, if you want strength in your life in the midst of the storm, if you want love in your life, if you want patience in your life, if you want hope in your life, if you want joy in your life, be like your teacher. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know where we sell Jesus short in the church today, but when he said it is finished and then Fifty days later, he ascended to the throne. He gave his disciples and his church of the Lord Jesus Christ a mandate. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, beloved, all of it. <laughs> Those worldly powers are under my control. It, if he would have just explained it better, maybe we would have gotten it. Listen, I know it looks bad, and you got a president that's doing some really crazy things. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Oh, we don't, we can't do that. We don't have enough time. We don't have people in the room. We're going to have to man in here. When we say that, we're just looking at the worldly ways. We're trying to conquer the world by the world instead of conquer the world by Jesus Christ. All authority has been given to me. Do not be pragmatic about this. Change your worldview. Be like your teacher. Go up into heaven saying, yes, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus was, and I, I, I wish I had more time this morning, but his meekness is the center of that doctrine. He had authority under power. He could have called down a legion of angels to pull him from that cross, but he didn't because it was God's plan. Whatever you're going through today, beloved, God knows it's his plan and he is with you. He is your Savior. And then the final one, probably the one that makes more sense than anything. Paul writes to the saints and to the body. Who is that? To equip the saints and to build up the body of Christ to mature manhood. Yeah, it's normal people. They're not going to become pastors, most of them. You know, we've got moms there. We've got 
old people going through this or that disease. We've got young people trying to raise their families in the midst of that world. We've got engineers. We've got bakers and cake makers. We've got stay-at-home moms. We've got auto mechanics. That's your ministry, beloved. Missionaries. That's your ministry. We've got nurses, right? That's where your ministry is. That's what you're being built up to witness Christ into those positions. And he's saying that if you'll focus on him down at the plant when you're fixing something and nothing's going right and nobody's listening to you and you can't get any good help, but yet it's got to be done and you just want to give up and throw up your arms and walk away. Or maybe it's on second shift. You've been up all night, three days in a row because you're a nurse. And you've got a patient that's just being as difficult as can be and you want to say, heck with it, I'm out of here. You know what you're going to hear? I'm with you. Look to me. You can do this. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when he walked out on that water? It's interesting that all the Gospels have them. Can you hear Jesus? Let's feed these people. Let's take care of that patient. Let's work with this broken child. This distraught mother. He's right there. He's just as real as he was to the disciples that said, well, we know 290 Jesus is right there. He's with you in your daily life. Keep your eyes fixed on him, beloved. That's where maturity comes. And the knowledge of who he is in day-to-day life. He's building you up. He's equipping you. He's making you his church. He's sanctifying you. Beloved, Grab a hold of the word teleos here. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's making you perfect. I know, right? Me, little old me. That's what he's doing. And when you take your eyes off him and look at the world, you're just causing yourself grief. Gracious heavenly fathers would come to a close this morning. glorious truth it is that you're walking with us through all of this. We fail. We're like Andrew and Philip. Oh, we do. We do that more than we, than we uh, succeed in faith, I think. But the great knowledge is that you're there with us. And if we would just look to you, you're saying what you said to the disciples, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Give us ears to hear you. Give us hearts to know that every promise proves true. Grow us as your people, Father. It's the glorious work of the gospel in our lives today. It never stops. You've saved us from our sins, and now you're growing us throughout eternity until the day we stand before you in glorification. Oh, Father, what hope we have in Jesus. Let us grab it for all that it's worth.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now for our men, I'd like to get...